0: This is Kathleen De La Hunt, and this is week 2 on the Bible study about James, the book of James, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. It's wonderful to be with you tonight and I always get very excited to be able to share just some of the things that God has highlighted as I share from the Word of God. But let's pray before we start. Father God, I want to thank you for your anointing tonight. I want to thank you for your peace. I want to thank you for the spirit of revelation to bring clarity and the spirit of knowledge to impart and to change hearts and lives, that it won't just be a mere message that tickles our ears, but that our hearts and lives will be changed just the way that James writes to them saying that the word of God has to change their hearts and their lives. I pray for such an anointing tonight. I pray for your peace and direction. And Holy Spirit, the After Teacher, will you please continue teaching long after this meeting has ended. Thank you in the beautiful name of Jesus. Well, it's wonderful to be with you tonight. We ended off last week with James in verse 18, where he said to the Jews, remember he's writing to the scattered 12 tribes of Israel that are all among the nations. He's not writing to the church that's gathering every Sunday. He's pretty much in the same place that we are right now. Scattered people who are being communicated with through emails and WhatsApp and Facebook. And he's preaching his sermon in the letter that he's writing. Whereas we're preaching the sermon online and in Zoom. But it's the same sort of thing reaching a scattered people, keeping them empowered, envisioned and focused on Jesus and stopping them and helping them from not being absorbed into the nations and into the ways of the world that they have found themselves in. So he ended, um, we ended at the end of verse 18 last week where he said to them, you are the first fruits um, of that which God has established, meaning that you are God's gift to the world. And he's talking to the Jews and saying, you are the first fruits for the Gentiles that received God after the Jews. We became part of that, but they were the first fruit. Now, as we carry on in verse 19 tonight, we see that um, he's speaking about the word of truth and the Holy Spirit revealing truth and convicting everybody, but that they have a part to play. Friends, God convicts God lays a table but we have a part to play we've got to make changes we've got to grab a hold of that which God has grabbed a hold of us for and we've got to make the alterations in our life so that we can become the people of kingdom culture not holding on to our own culture as I spoke last week but becoming the people of kingdom culture and doing what he called us to do in a time such as this as we carry on In verse 19, he addresses hearing and doing, becoming hearers and doers of the word. And he speaks a lot about controlling the tongue. So let's read together. James 1 verse 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, they need to be quick to listen. Don't be reactional. Think about it. Pray about it. Be responsive and let your response be without any form of anger because anger is reactional. He goes on to say in verse 20, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Friends, any time that anger is part of the equation, God's righteousness is not being established. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and and humble, humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save your souls. So he's linking anger with moral filth and evil. And he's saying that if we embrace moral filth and evil, it manifests as anger in our lives. Why? Because we have to defend something. We've got to defend the voice of god telling us this is not right we've got to justify our actions we've got to prove to everybody else that we're okay when god says we're not okay jesus addresses the same thing where he says don't throw what's sacred before the dogs in matthew 7 verse 6. what are dogs people that can't control their anger and that are involved in moral filth so james is unpacking the same thing from a different angle and he's saying guys if you're battling with rage Get rid of moral filth and evil that's in your lives. You have to get rid of it. You know, friends, so often we say, Oh, God, please help me get rid of my anger. Oh, God, please help me get rid of pornography. Oh, God, please help me get rid of what, what, what. And God says, No, 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 that's your job. I've given you the word and I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you the conviction and I've shown you the way. You choose to get rid of that which does not come into agreement with the order of God, the way of God, and the will of God for your life. And here James is saying exactly the same thing. Then he says, humble yourself. Friends, it's very humbling to have to confess and repent. It's very humbling to go to somebody and say, pray for me because I'm battling with something. But it's out of that humility, friends, that we find breakthrough. That's why the Bible says further on in James, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And if you have sinned, you'll be forgiven. It's very humbling to have to go and to confess the areas in our life that we are holding on to that God says is moral filth and evil but by humbling ourselves friends we come into huge breakthrough and because of the breakthrough we're able to walk in freedom because god keeps no record of our wrongs isn't that absolutely amazing so he goes on to speak in verse 22 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself do what it says the transforming power of the word is taking the word And applying it into our lives. You know, the word of God says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But once you've heard it, you've got to apply it, friends. It's not just hearing it that's going to grow your faith. It's actually stepping into it and walking on the water that God has laid before us. Verse 23, he says, anyone who hears the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and he immediately forget what he looks like. Well, friends, as we look in the mirror, there are two things we see. We either see that, which is our weaknesses and the things that God wants to deal with, and he says, don't forget that, but go and apply it and bring the changes and get rid of that which you need to get rid of but ultimately we meant to see the image and likeness of god we meant to see what god sees when he looks at us i've put a little picture here where it says god's word shows us our true self we miss god's blessings when we forget who the word says we are friends it's not what your past says you are but it's what the word says you are you are a new creation You are in Christ Jesus. The Father looks down on you and sees you justified and sanctified. The Holy Spirit is within you and he's transforming you into that new creation. And so when we look in the mirror, we have to see our new creation. That's what God wants us to see. And don't forget what the new creation looks like. Because when you get a revelation of what God sees... It helps you in your area of weakness to say, no, I will not partake of that which is ungodly. It increases the authority of the grace that's available to you to be able to say no. Remember, grace is the divine influence upon your heart reflected through your life. And when you see yourself the way God sees you, it gives you a greater authority to be able to say no. When you see yourself as a failure and a weakling, you just go back to the same old patterns. So God sees See yourself and don't forget what you see when you look in the mirror. Point number three is search the Word of God to learn who you are. We need to see what God sees when we look in the mirror and don't forget it. Don't forget it, friends. Don't defend sin. Don't get angry because you've been caught in sin. Just humbly go, repent, confess, break the power of it, and see yourself. The way that god sees you james is saying that if a person hears the truth and does a self-examination and sees the area that he needs to allow god to work on but when he walks away and the moment passes and he just carries on life as normal as if the holy spirit never drew his attention to bring changes in his choice making and allow the sanct- uh, uh, sanctification this is a very dangerous place for that person Because they will harden their heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then they won't hear Him to be able to change. And the Word of God challenges us. Do not allow your heart to get hardened. Keep it soft. Keep it gentle. Keep it humble. And let God bring the transformation as you step into obedience. Be a hearer and a doer of the Word. Verse 25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, never forgetting what they have heard, they will be blessed in what they do. What is the perfect law that brings freedom, friends? It's the power of the blood of Jesus. It's the justification that renders you innocent. It's the grace that God has bestowed on you, an evil sinner, to give you the opportunity of becoming a son of God. It's the ability to respond to the Holy Spirit, to be transformed, and to walk this earth redeemed, glorified sons of God. That is the perfect law of freedom, friends. It's the perfect law of being able to walk under that grace of redemption and to absolutely know that God is who He says He is and that the Holy Spirit will continuously just tweak us in the areas where we move to the left or the right. And it's just obedience. It's just obedience to the voice of the Spirit that keeps us walking in the fullness of that liberty and freedom that the blood of Jesus has come to offer us. Then uh, uh, James goes on to speak about the tongue. Now he addresses the tongue at the end of chapter 1, and then he comes back in chapter 3, I think it is, and he addresses it some more. Because obviously, friends, the tongue is very important. I want to say this to you five of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, five of the nine power gifts of the Holy Spirit are anointing the tongue. Three of them are gifts of healing and one of them is a gift of discernment. Now, if God spends so much time through the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint our tongues, we better know that our tongue is very, very important to God. That is the gift of prophecy, the gifts of word of knowledge, the gift of word of wisdom. Remember, prophecy is a knowing what God wants us to know about the future. The word of knowledge is having a revelation about the past. The word of wisdom is a word for right now, to know what God is saying in the right now. Tongues, and that is public tongues, to speak publicly in the church or in meetings. And the interpretation of tongues. Five of the nine gifts are all about the tongue. He wants to mightily anoint our tongue. We have to take responsibility and take charge of our tongue. He goes on in verse 26 to say this those who consider themselves religious and that means fearing and worshiping god it means to tremble and to demonstrate worship to stand in the presence of god to come under the anointing to feel the anointing if you consider yourself to be people that can sense the holy spirit and that can hear the voice of god and yet you do not keep a tight rein on your tongues you are deceiving yourself and your religion is worthless religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from the pollution of this world so he's talking to the scattered nations and he says wherever you are look after the orphans and the widows in distress and keep yourself from the pollution of this world and that way you'll keep yourself growing strong and being in the fullness god wants you to be no matter where you've been scattered to and even if you're not in an environment where you can draw strength from your brothers and sisters now they were gathering in twos and threes or even a little bit bigger groups but they were not gathering in the whole as the church in in jerusalem that he was the lead elder of he then goes on to discuss the penalty of partiality In uh, James 1 verse 9, he spoke about the difference between the rich man and the poor man and a man in humble beginnings and through perseverance is going to receive the crown of life. And now he goes back to that again. It's almost like he wants to massage things in by keep going back and discussing them again. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Supposing a man coming into our meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes. (laughs) Excuse me, please. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man in fine clothes and say to him, Here is a good seat for you, but to the poor man, You say, stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges of an evil thought? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who he loved? He said they're going to receive a crown of of, of life. But you have despised or dishonored the poor. It is not the rich, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? <clears> Here, <throat> yeah. are they not the ones who are blaspheming the worthy name of him to whom you belong? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin and you are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. He says that if we are in any way discriminating, we are judging. Now, friends, remember that the moment that we judge, that same measurement of judgment is going to come against us. And it's going to come by the powers of this world, which are magistrates and demonic judges. It's not God judging us. We've placed ourselves under judgment. And when we choose to follow the law and put ourselves under judgment, then any law that we break will come under the same judgment as those that followed in the Old Testament law. We're not under law, we're under grace. But if we judge others, we put ourselves back under the law. So, he's talking very strongly to them about placing ourselves back under the law. You see, grace only works if we don't place ourselves back under law. But you can place yourself back under law. And one of the ways you can do it is to judge others. Verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So, if you're going to live according to the law, and you're going to have partiality, and you're going to judge others... Then you're guilty of breaking all of the law for he who said do not commit murder also said sorry for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder now if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder you have become a lawbreaker now we know in reality if you commit murder you will come under the laws of the land and you will be arrested and you will be found guilty and you can even be executed in some countries, because you've committed murder. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew twenty twenty one. He said, if you are angry against your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. And so friends, the Old Testament murder was killing somebody physically. The New Testament murder was killing somebody in your heart and in your words, killing their reputation, criticizing their character, judging them, breaking them down and having anger towards them. So James is addressing anger, controlling the tongue, and now he's addressing judging people. And in the same way Jesus addressed judging people, when he said, you think killing somebody is murder, I'm telling you that in the New Testament, what's going on in your heart is considered murder. And friends, because we place ourselves back under judgment, we will be judged according to the law, which will hold us guilty of just breaking one thing. Whereas under the freedom of the law of grace, we walk in freedom as long as we don't judge each other, as long as we love each other, as long as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, and we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we obey what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. It's such freedom. It's such a delight to walk in the freedom that God has made available for us through the blood of Jesus. Now he goes on to say in verse 12. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a powerful statement that is. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so friends, in every situation where you might be inclined to judge and make a decision, remember this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Our God is far more merciful than we ever will believe. He's not sitting on judgment seat. He's sitting on mercy seat. <clears throat> and friends, that, with, that is with every single one of us and every aspect of our life. He's drawing us. He's wooing us. He's bringing us into our wholeness, into our predestined state. But he's doing it through mercy and grace and love. He's not angry. He's not angry with the world and he's not angry with us. The day will come that his wrath will be manifest and he will sit on the judgment seat. But he's still on the mercy seat, friends. And we have to be positioned on the mercy seat because mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't be so quick to judge other people because he isn't. Faith without works is dead. He's continuing in the fact of, don't be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no works? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep yourself warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works. And I will show you my faith with my works. You see, friends, we have to understand that Romans says that we all belong to each other. The body of Christ has different giftings, but we all belong to each other. And we are responsible to help each other. We see the original church in Acts 5. They sold everything so that no one had lack, and they looked after each other. So when he says here, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, he's talking about brothers and sisters in the church, in the body of Christ. He's not talking about the world. Remember when I was teaching in Matthew 5, I said we were responsible for helping each other in the church. If you feel called to give to somebody who's backling that's not in the church, that's fine, but do not become an enabler. <clears throat> do not give to a beggar on the side of the road and enable them to carry on begging. We are not to give people fish. We to help them to learn how to fish for themselves. And if you have a conviction to give to the, to the homeless and to the hungry and to the desperate in the world, and we should all have that conviction because it's part of caring for the people that are desperate. Firstly, the body of Christ comes first. That is our primary source of caring. And secondly, then give money into organizations that are equipping, that are training, that are teaching them, that are helping them find jobs. There are many, many places that are doing that. Teach them how to fish. Don't enable them to keep begging on the side of the road because we're not helping people. Most of the cases we're enabling their, their addictions, we're enabling their ability to just beg from other people and that does, not, does nothing for the establishing of their honor, their respect, their identity and their self-worth. Do not be an enabler by just giving money and, 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 and providing for those that should be finding a way to provide for themselves. Give into an organization that can help them, that can equip them, that can train them, and that can feed them. (coughs) But in the church, friends, we are to keep very alert. We're in a time now where many people are battling. We're in a time now where many people in the church have been laid off and haven't had money and haven't been able to provide for their family. It's our responsibility towards each other to make sure that we help each other. And you know what? What have you got to give? It might be a loaf of bread, it might be a meal, it might be a little packet of groceries, it might be anything. But help those that haven't got and that are battling. And don't bless them and say, oh well have a wonderful week knowing that they don't have a single cent to buy any food with. And friends, we've got to be alert and and we've got to know what's going on among the body. Because one day God's going to say, but you had, you had extra, you could have provided. Everything you've got belongs to me. And you're the one that I've given the freedom of choice to decide how you want to spend it. Why didn't you help them? So it's really important that we stay alert and we remember that our responsibility is towards our brothers and sisters. We can help other people, but do it right. Teach them to fish. Don't just give them fish and enable their bad ways and allow them to become worse and worse and worse. We need to equip the next generation to find their self-worth friends, to find their way back to Jesus. Number one, but also to find their self-worth. And we've got that responsibility to help them. And it's vital that we do that, especially in our country at this time. Okay, verse 19 says, (coughs) You believe that there is a God. Good. But even the demons believe that, and they tremble. The word tremble is that they fear God. Friends, believing that there's a God isn't enough. Even the devil just does that, and the demons does that. It's got to be far more than that. It's got to have a revelation that you've been called by him to make a difference in this world and that he is the one that is your source, your Lord, your Savior, your King. That's what we've been called to do. goes on in verse 20 and it says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is dead? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made perfect or complete by what he did. Friends, it's really important that we know this, that every time God wants to grow us in faith, it takes a huge risk. God's always going to ask us to do something that's beyond ourselves that we can't do on our own. We're going to have to step on water. It is a risk. When he took his son and he laid him on that altar, he didn't know if he was going to die or if he was going to live. But he trusted God. His faith in God was so strong that the God that promised him a son was going to give him a son from his own loins and from Sarah. And if, if Abraham had to, to, um, to sacrifice Isaac, he was absolutely convinced that God would raise Isaac from the dead. But he knew that Isaac was the promise. And therefore, whatever it took to receive the fullness of that promise, he trusted God blindly. And I want to tell you, friends, so many of us want proof before we do anything. But God said, do this, but I can't see what the, after, uh, the aftermath of that's going to be. If you're looking for proof, it's not faith, friends. Faith is a risk. And it means stepping out on that water and not knowing where you're going to land. And every single time that God stretches us in faith, He calls us to do things that we cannot be in control of. That's what faith is all about. It's being out of control. It's called risk. And faith, you cannot say I'm a believer, and you're not prepared to ever step on the water of that which God has called you to do. And then verse um, 22 says, 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. In Matthew seven twenty six, Jesus also addresses this. He says, but anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So James is addressing a lot of what Jesus addressed in Matthew 5 to 8. And he's re-equipping the Jews and saying, guys, remember, these are the things we have to remember and this is what we have to do. Even more now where you are scattered among the nations and you don't have each other to draw strength from. You see, a person is considered righteous or justified by what they do and not by faith only. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions. As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without de- without works is dead also. Friends, you don't have faith if you're not prepared to step on the water. It's just a good idea. And you can say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I've got faith. But if you've never done anything to step out there, to risk, to step on the water, he's going to say to you, you're a hearer, but you're not a doer. And your house has been built on the sand because you've never allowed me to test it and you've never allowed it to be established on the truth of the word of Jesus Christ. And you've never seen that God is faithful. Rahab risked her life. Abraham risked the life of his own son. We can go right throughout the Bible. Joseph risked his life. Daniel risked his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego risked their lives. Esther risked her life. There's not a single person that stepped out in faith that didn't risk everything to step in faith. And yet God came through beyond their wildest dreams. That's faith, friends, when you've seen God come through for you. Then James goes back, and once again, he's addressing the tongue. And now we are in James 3, verse 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, this is a warning. One, that means one who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man. Those who assemble people due to their teaching anointing. Not many of you should become teachers. Some Bible say should presume to be teachers. Don't presume it. Don't try and pick up something you haven't been called to do my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And in this little picture that I've got here for you, it says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And that's 1 Peter 4 verse 11. And Peter said, if you're going to open your mouth to speak, let it be the very words of God. And now James is saying, don't presume to be a teacher because you're going to be judged more strictly. Why did he say this friends? Because teachers will be judged on what they teach, and on how they live are they teaching the word and the heart of god are they producing life the letter kills but the spirit gives life are they just teaching an academic study or are they releasing the holy spirit and what they teach is their life reflected through their teaching are they hearers and doers of the word do they live what they teach don't presume to be a teacher. Because if you do, you're going to be judged according to being a teacher one day. And your life and what you teach is going to be under God's microscope. And we've got to be very, very careful, friends, that not only do we say things, but that we live things that are true to the word of God. You can teach one thing, but if you live another, it'll be like somebody saying, I've got measles when they've got mumps. Everybody will catch mumps. And we've got to understand what you say has to be backed up by what you live. Your faith has to manifest in your own life before you can stir it up to be manifest in other people's lives. And when you speak, learn, rather speak the very oracles of God and keep quiet if you can't speak the oracles of God. Because if you say something and it's not the things of God, that's going to be judged, especially if you are a teacher. So it's a warning. It's a serious warning from James to the body of Christ. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone um anyone is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able, sorry, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship, for an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they steer by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants them to go. Oh, was, oh, sorry. So, firstly, who's the pilot of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? That tiny little rudder, we've got to give him control of that tiny little rudder. We've got to give him control of the bit in our mouth. That when you turn the horse with a bit in their mouth, the whole animal turns. When you turn the rudder as the pilot of the ship, the whole ship turns. And here We see James is quoting Proverbs to them as he's talking to them about the tongue. Verse 5 says, Likewise, the tongue is a little member of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets a course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Well, if we look at Proverbs um, 16 verse 27, it says a worthless person concocts evil gossip. His lips are like a burning fire. So when he's talking about the burning fire and the lips and the tongue being a burning fire, he's quoting from Proverbs. If we look at Proverbs 18, verse 7 to 8, it says, A foolish mouth is his undoing. His lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the man's innermost parts. So Proverbs warns us that our mouth and our tongue is a snare to our life. Yet yeah, James says that the evil of the tongue can corrupt the whole body and set the course of one's life on fire and it itself has been set on fire by hell. It's talking about your whole body. What comes out of your mouth is going to set the course of your life. But it's also talking about the body of Christ. What comes out of a person's mouth can destroy the body of Christ. I want to tell you something friends. The body of Christ, on the whole, are really evil gossips. And they discredit and disqualify each other so much. And it breaks the heart of God. Friends, we mean meant to build each other. We're meant to encourage each other. Prophecy is about edification, exhortation, and encouragement. That's the glory and the power of God. And yet we find it so enticing to break other people down and to listen to gossip. I want to tell you, friends, if you can't let the words of your mouth be the very words of God, don't speak at all. And don't let your ears out to gossips, because even by listening, you've become a partaker of that which is destructive. It is set on fire by hell itself, and it destroys the whole body. In Proverbs 18.8, um, I've read that to you. Um, Where is the scripture that says, Life and death on the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof if you love death words you're going to speak death to your own life and you're going to speak death to those around you and you know so often as parents we are careless and we say things that that child's such a brat or we grumble about our husbands and we speak negatively about them or we grumble about our home and we release death into our home but if your tongue is full of life and purity And you do not allow to be set on fire by hell, friends. You are creating the future, which is full of life, full of joy, and full of peace in your home. And not only in your home, but also over your own life. So many of us speak death over our own bodies. I'm so sick and tired. I hate this about myself. I hate that about myself. And we speak death over our own bodies. And then we wonder, friends, why we're sick and why we're tired and why things aren't going well and they're not functioning well. Because we have set the path of our life a lot with a fire that comes straight out of hell. Who's in control of your tongue? Who's the pilot of your tongue? This tiny little thing that controls your whole body, controls the whole body of Christ, and bring such hellfire wherever it goes is your pilot jesus are you guarding your tongue have you taken ownership of what comes out of your mouth or is it just like a sewer that just oozes junk out especially when you're with other people who are sewers themselves and love to talk junk you know gossip's incredibly contagious and people love it and you can always see where the gossips are because they find each other they hang together and they don't have a good thing to say about others about anybody else and let me tell you if there's three gossips let one of them walk away and they'll be the next topic of conversation don't think you are safe if you're in a circle of gossips you're just the next one that's going to be discussed if you're not there friends we've got to be very very careful we've got to guard our tongues james warns about the tongue the bible often talks about the tongue proverbs talks about the tongue it says in proverbs um, 26 verse 20 without wood a fire goes out Without quarrel, gossip, a quarrel dies down. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. I find that so interesting because when I was talking about keeping your fire alive, one of the things that we have to use to keep the fire alive on the altar of our passionate life in Christ is the ability to speak in tongues, which just builds you up on the inside and anoints you with an incredible fire and keeps you passionate for Jesus. The tongue, can release the fire of God in our lives, but the tongue can release the fire of the devil in our lives and break down everything that God is wanting to achieve and to establish in our life. Verse 7 says this, All kinds of animals and birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now you know in t- twenty thirteen, um, I had the honor of being able to visit Israel. Uh, Shay and I, my daughter and I, went um, with one other friend, and we visited Israel. And we, we try to visit the Israel that is um, the Israel of the normal the normal inhabitants, rather than all the spots that the that the holiday makers um, go to and all the sort of um, spots that everybody advertises. And the thing that I was incredibly struck by was how the Jews love cursing people. On many occasions, we would see somebody come out of a shop with a shopkeeper running behind them, shouting curses over them and then spitting <coughs> over that person as they curse them. And I thought, what is this? And so we asked people and they said, oh, no, they will curse you if you do something that annoys them. And that gave me an insight into this passage of scripture, why James wrote to the Jews. And he said, guys, you curse each other, but you worship the Father out of the same mouth. Stop it. That is an evil. And stop doing that. Why are you cursing those that are made in the image of God, and yet you're worshiping God at the same time? And he was strong on that. And friends, you know, I understand why. Because as a nation, they still practice cursing. But you know what? We might not do it like that, but we do it every time we break somebody down. Every time we, we are derogatory, every time we are negative, every time we criticize, every time we break our partners down, every time that we speak about other people in a way that breaks down their character, we're cursing them. And, and the word of God said it's, it's far better to bless and not curse. It says even curse those who persecute you. I mean, bless those who persecute you. We need to be people that bless. Out of our mouth, there needs to pour blessing and love and exhortation and encouragement and love. We serve a God of abundant life. We serve a God that looks at every one of us with hope. It looks at every one of us in the fullness of our potential. He doesn't see us where we are. He sees us what he created us to be, friends. And how do we get there? By speaking that destiny over ourselves and by speaking it over each other. And I really want to encourage you. James challenged us in this passage that we've discussed tonight. Do not be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Step out in faith, risk and be who God's called you to be. That will be considered as righteousness in your life. And guard your tongue, guard your tongue. Don't allow your tongue in your own mouth to be the most destructive thing in your life. Don't allow the tongue in other people's mouths to destroy you by what they say and by what they do. Friends, we hear things, but we don't have to listen. And we don't have to repeat things. And I want to encourage you. I try very, very hard. In every situation, I try very hard to ask the Holy Spirit to convict me if in any way I'm getting involved in something that's destructive. Sometimes you've got to talk about facts to try and process it, but not in a way that breaks down other people's characters, not in a way that destroys. Remember, God is not on your side, and God is not on their side. He is the God of hosts, He is the Almighty King of hosts. All of us have to turn to come onto his side. So just because you're upset with someone or they've offended you, you don't think God's on your side. He's not. He's not on their side either. He's saying, so what are you going to do differently? To find healing in your own heart and to bless them abundantly. Guard your mouth. Guard your tongue. Be very sure that this little thing in you is a rudder that changes the direction of the whole ship to the good. And not that destroys the path that's been set before you for the king. You know, many times in my life, I've heard people that have said, I'm never going to live to be 40, or I'm never going to live to be 35, or I'm never going to live to be 50. And you know what, friends, they die just short of that. Why? Because they set the path by the fire that was ignited in hell on their own tongues. Friends, long life is our promise. And every day ordained for us was set in his book before one of them came to be. And the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour someone? And if you give him permission to cut your life short, he will. Don't let your tongue set a path of death for you, for your loved ones, for the people around you. Don't put yourself under judgment by judging somebody else. Let life and joy and peace, and if you speak, speak the very words of God. Be hearers and doers of the word and God, your tongue, for it is the wellspring of life. God, your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And you, whatever you speak, you will eat the fruit of it. It's really important that what you speak is life, life-giving. And it sets a path before you of abundant life. God bless you, friends. And just know this, God loves you. Next week, we'll carry on from James 3, verse 13. I don't want to go on to the next one because then he goes on to discuss wisdom. I really wanted to soak in this week. Hearers and doers of the word, and you are responsible for your tongue. Make sure that you keep your mouth quiet if you cannot speak that which is life-giving. Until we meet again, good night.